Hey, all right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, got a good morning over here. Anybody over here? Good morning over here. Somebody back here. Okay, because Dwayne is paying attention. That's called pastor empathy, right? As another pastor, you know. Thanks, thanks for feeling for me, Dwayne. Well, hey, uh, again, my name is Doug. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I want to invite, uh, I'm sorry, I want to welcome all of our guests that are here. Also, I want to say hello to everybody who's watching online or maybe listening to the podcast later. We know a lot of folks will check us out online before they show up in the room in person. Um, so we look forward to seeing you here soon if you're on the podcast or online. Now, here at Hope, everything we do is guided by the mission that Jesus gave to every church. And we sum it up, um, we sum it up with what we call the big three. And the big three is this. It's on the screen. Can you all read it together for me? It is two. All right, hopefully second service got a little... All right, I know that's the first time you've heard that one, so... Um, but here we go. Um, um, today is our Novembering service. It's a different service. It's one time a year that we do this, and part of why we do this is that as a church, one of the ways that we love others and follow Jesus together is, is for us to do what the Apostle Paul instructed in Romans chapter 12. He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. That's how we are to operate around other people. So this, this morning, what I want to talk about is how we love others, how we love each other, and how we follow Jesus together by mourning with those who mourn. See, no one stands alone. No one stands alone. And whether you have a loss that you come with this morning, that you bring with you, that you're conscious of today, or if you don't have anything in recent memory, um, as a part of the Hope family, we stand by each other and we mourn with those who mourn. Now, what I want to do, a little something different, is I'm going to explain the ending right up front here before I get into the message, because there's a lot of instruction, and, and that can get confusing later, so I'm going to try to do it now so we can get into the flow of the message. But at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a, the band will come up, and we'll start a song, um, and we'll have communion available. And then what you see right up front here is uh, a station where you can light a candle uh, if you have somebody, especially this morning, that you um, have lost and you want to light a candle in memory, and is even a part of grieving that loss, acknowledging a loss that you carry. Heidi and I will be up here to help those of you with that that want to do that. Um, so there'll be communion, lighting a candle, prayer ministry is going to be available. And I just want to say this, like when we do the end of the service today, especially, don't rush, don't rush. In fact, if you are still in the middle of just kind of processing and being in the moment, when we get to the end, um, Everybody's going to leave and go to the lobby and have their conversations out there. And if you want to stay in the room after that, um, Brandon and the team, or we'll have some music that's just playing uh, kind of lightly, if you want to linger in God's presence at the end. So now one more thing, um, because when we do communion, again, I want to give the instructions now instead of later. Um, and I know that's like 30 minutes from now, but especially if, you're, if you are someone who's new I want to remove any pressure on how we do communion here at Hope and answer just a question on what it is. So especially if you're new, I'm just going to take uh, like, you know, two, three minutes right up front and explain communion now instead of later. So first, how we do communion at Hope. Here we practice what we call open 
communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to come to the communion table and, and, and receive with us. Um, you don't have to be a member here. You don't have to have gone through confirmation or some class or anything. You are welcome. It's open communion. Now, also, maybe you're somebody that's on this journey, um, and you can't say, well, I have said yes to Jesus already, but maybe you're on this journey. We know that some people who are on that journey um, to following Jesus, sometimes they actually make that decision and come to the communion table as a way to kind of put a stake in the ground and remember the day that they said yes to following Jesus. So if that's you, you are welcome to come to those communion tables with everybody else at the end of the, the message when we go there, you are welcome. Um, and then just practically, there's two communion stations. There'll be two folks serving at each uh, table. And so when you come, when you come, remember this one, take the elements, and this week you'll receive on your own. Sometimes we all come back together and I lead us, but this week... When you're ready, after you receive your elements, you can take them right up here. Some, maybe you'll want to go to the cross. Maybe you'll want to go back to your seat. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take those elements. Um, and then also, those of you who would like to light a candle as a way of remembering a loved one that you've lost, come on up here to the middle and just put lines on each side, and Heidi and I will help you do that um, whenever you are ready. So that was the how of the communion piece. And then real quick, here's the why. And this is so important that we don't just blow into this without explaining the why. In a nutshell, the why of communion is we receive the, the juice and the cracker. It's the representative of the body and the blood of Jesus. We receive that as a way of remembering the sacrifice Jesus made when he willingly went to the cross and gave his life for your sin and for mine. And so the, the bread and the cup, they remind us that the real presence of the body and blood of Jesus, who is here right now, you guys, he's here with us right now. He's here and he wants to offer freedom and healing. And here's how the Bible describes communion. 1 Corinthians 11 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, which is a word for promise, the new covenant in my blood, Luke adds, which is poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many, so do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So that's a big part of the why of communion when we come to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made when he gave his life on the cross. So one more thing, and then we're going to get to the message here. The reason I gave us that big preview right here of the ending is that I already know that the Spirit of God is already working. And so when we get to the end, I don't want to stop and give a bunch of instructions uh, then, so that's why we gave them now. So again, there'll be a lot going on. It's a very interactive ending of the service today. You'll be invited to sing, to receive communion, to light a candle, to receive prayer. You can do any of it. You can do all of it. Um, it's, it's up to you to make those choices when we get there, okay? Okay, I can explain all of it again if we got lost. If we... <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, let's pray and then get into the message. Um, simply, Holy Spirit, I pray. Holy Spirit, come. We know you are already here, but Holy Spirit, would you come in a way that we can sense your presence 
And for those who grieve this morning, would you show up as the comforter? Your word says that you are the comforter. Would you come with your comfort? Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, here's how I want to start. I, I want to start by framing how the world used to look at and some of the world still sees um, deities and gods. And in ancient times, ancient cultures, it was very common for people to worship many gods. I mean, and people lived in fear of upsetting the gods, so they constantly tried to appease these gods that they worshipped. And because if you didn't worship the god of the storms, then storms might decimate your homes. And, and if you didn't sacrifice to the god of agriculture, then surely you would have a poor harvest. And if you didn't pray to the god of the sun, then the sun might not rise or might not shine on you. See, they believed that the gods were very temperamental, and the last thing you wanted to do was to upset the gods. People were very afraid of the gods and the gods didn't care too much for humans either. In fact, it was seen um, by people that wrote about these mythologies. It was seen as a weakness in a god if that particular god cared for people. One, one example is a myth that tells how uh, Prometheus, he was a, a god who felt sorry for humans and gave humanity the gift of fire. But the chief god, Zeus, was furious. So as a punishment for helping out the humans, Zeus ordered Prometheus chained to, chained to a rock and sent an eagle to peck at his intestines for 1,000 years for caring about humans. So, ancient gods um, were indifferent. You can take that off the screen. That's really fun to look at. But um, they were indifferent to human suffering, right? And you better, here's how it works. The thought was, you better stay on the good side, because if anything bad happened to you, you must have done something to upset those gods. So, of course, you probably deserved it. And most people believe that the best you could do was to hope and stay out of the way of the gods so you could avoid their wrath, you could avoid being punished. That was through most of the ancient world, but there was an odd little group of people who worshipped one god, Yahweh. And, and this God, Yahweh, actually had some care and compassion for humans. And even though the people of God, the Jewish people, knew that, many of them were still kind of unclear about what kind of God Yahweh is. What kind of God is God? And so to make the answer to that question clear, God sends Jesus to show us. And the writer of Hebrews explains that Jesus is the ultimate high priest who reconciles us to God. But, but, but Jesus wasn't a high priest who just represented us to God as a detached kind of high priest in a formal setting. Jesus actually became one of us. He gets us. Hebrews 4, 15 says, Hebrews 4, there it is. So, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
See, the writer is telling us that Jesus came as a human being. He lived the full human experience. He knows what it's like to experience both joy and sorrow. Jesus knows what it's like to feel despair, grief, anger, sadness. Jesus knows what it's like to weep. God is a God who actually weeps. He's not a God who is indifferent but is the God who has compassion on humankind and on human suffering. And that is why verse 16 says we are encouraged to come to God, to God's throne. We come as we are. We come to the throne of grace with confidence is the word. So that when we are in need, including when we feel lost or afraid or sad, when we are in need, we can receive the mercy and the grace of God because Jesus gets us. He chose to go through all the things that people experience, showing us that we matter to God, that God is not indifferent. He's not detached from what breaks our hearts. And this week in preparing for our Novembering service, the place my attention was just drawn back to was a single verse and the story attached to this single verse um, and it's a story that puts on display the heart of Jesus, the heart Jesus has for us. It's a story that reminds us that, that he felt what we feel. And when tragedy strikes, he can relate and empathize. It's actually the shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody know this verse? There we go. What is it again? Yes, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. So what I want to do, though, is I want to look at the story that leads up to this famous verse in John 11. And what I want to do first, because it's a lot of reading, so I'm going to kind of summarize in chunks as we go, and then we'll get to the kind of the payoff at the end. Um, so here's the story. Jesus, and I'll kind of give you the background. Jesus was close friends with, with two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother. Um, anybody know his name? Lazarus. And this is actually the story, uh, spoiler alert, where Lazarus dies. And if you know the story, at the end of the story, it's, it's amazing. Lazarus is resurrected. And for me, I love to just kind of jump to the end, to the miracle. And I, I wonder if we kind of all, in some ways, have some of that tendency that we just want to blow past, you know, the pain and get to the good news. But I think that right here in this story, John, who wrote, wrote this story, John doesn't rush to that part, to the, the good news, um, because there are important things for us to notice about this story with Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So instead of rushing to the end, what we want to do today, in fact, I won't even get to the end, um, we're going to focus on and notice some of these other details in the story. So here we go. John 11, we'll kick up with verse 3. It says, so the sisters, so Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus that his deeply loved friend Lazarus, said, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. But the passage says that Jesus waits two more days, then travels to see him. So it takes a while to get to Jesus, find Jesus. Then Jesus waits two more days. He goes to see him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb, already dead for four days. Now, this is what Jesus walks into. In, in ancient Jewish culture, um, 
mourning someone who has died or spread over a long period of time. And so there were many, many folks, uh, the text says, that came from all over the place to mourn with Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother, Lazarus. So verse 20 says, when, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but, but Mary stayed at home. She's back at home with all the folks who are mourning. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if, if, you, had, oh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you know, right here, it seems to me that Martha is saying, um, you're late, Jesus. You're late. She was actually super gracious about it, right? But you pick that up from reading the text. Like, if, if Jesus, if you, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And my, my friend... Um, uh, Pastor Dave Bricky, he points out that uh, I'd never seen this before. This actually happens three times in the story. Martha says it right here. And then Mary says essentially the same thing in verse 32. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, you're late, Jesus, you're late. And then in verse 37, people are talking about Jesus kind of talking behind his back. And verse 37 says, some of them said, could he, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man and kept this man from, from dying? Right? They're like, <clears throat> wait a minute. Jesus can heal blind eyes. Why didn't, Jesus, why didn't you keep Lazarus from dying? Have you ever had a conversation with God like that before? You ever had something similar, you know? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, um, I know you can do anything, so... Where were you? Like, you're late. Jesus, you're late. I mean, I, in preparing this message, had to stop and wonder uh, my answer to that question. And, and I, it made me think of times um, where people that I really trusted suddenly turned on me, people who were close to me, uh, who hurt me in a way I'd never experienced before. I never even expected it was possible. And I can think of one particular time, one of the first times that happened in a, in a church setting, and it just felt like the rug on my life got yanked. felt like I was in free fall. And looking back on not just that time, but at my age that's happened you know, several times, many times, but when I look back at those episodes where things like that happen, I can relate to... Mary and Martha, like, hey, hey, um, I see that happen. Um, and Jesus, where, where were you? Where were you? You ever say that to God before? Have you ever asked Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, where were you? Any other Marys and Marthas in the room besides me? Okay, there's a few of us. Mary and Martha, again, they're asking, Jesus, where were you? And what's so powerful about this story is, is um, yeah, the resurrection's cool, but I just pause and look at this and go, you know what's great? Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't get irritated or offended because Jesus can handle it. I love that about Jesus. Let's read verse 32. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, so she's grieving, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Important to notice his response. Moved in spirit, troubled. Verse 34, he asks, where, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? Jesus asks. And they replied, come and see, Lord. And then it says, Jesus wept. It's the verse, Jesus wept. And that's where we're going to just kind of stop and sit in this. Because two things stand out to me about this story and about even this verse. First of all, the first of the two. One, Jesus expressed his sadness. And I mean, I know that sounds super simple, right? <laughs> Pretty basic. But, 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 but Jesus, again, he felt sorrow. Like, think about this. Like, he knew, he had already said that he was going to raise Lazarus. He would already told his guys. He already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why didn't he just cut to the chase and blow past the morning and get to the happy part, right? Hey, guys, don't worry. <laughs> Relax. It's going to be fine. Watch this. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't cut short the grieving process with quick answers, with solutions. No, no. Jesus allows both his sadness and their sadness to be expressed. Like this is the God of the universe who has all the answers. He doesn't just jump in with a quick answer or a quick fix. He weeps. Jesus allowed himself to feel the depth of the loss, to, to express it outwardly. Reminds me of something he taught in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 4, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And to mourn means um, to express, to express on the outside what's happening on the inside. And this is such a powerful, important thing for us to remember. It really matters because I think in our culture, we have this tendency that's alive and well with all of us, this, this tendency to suppress the stuff that's inside of us. We don't want to express it. We want to suppress it. So we stuff it. Um, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to express myself unless I'm at a Diamondbacks game. So, <laughs> Sorry, is that too soon? Is that... I know. We're going to have a special morning grieving party for that in the other room afterwards. But, um, but, but, but we don't, you know, we have a hard time expressing other kinds of emotions. Um, and that's what was going on. Jesus was expressing what's inside on the outside when, when we read that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He took what was inside and expressed it outside where he was deeply moved and grieved. And I just think like, you know, if Jesus actually needed comfort, don't all of us? Like, raise your hand if you need a little comfort now and then in one way or another. Yeah, right. Some of us are like, no, I don't need to feel my feelings. I'm a man. I'm stoic. But, <laughs> I mean, come on. There's a temptation to kind of wish we were more that way. But, but listen, listen, if God in the flesh needed to express his sadness... Why wouldn't you? Or me? So, 
Two things again, one in this story, two things are raised. One, Jesus expressed his sadness. That was the first one. And the second one is this. Um, we see that Jesus is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. Now, if you pull back and look at kind of the broader context around when this episode happens, we, we can kind of pinpoint that before Jesus goes to see Lazarus, he's actually on a very important journey, um, his final trip. Anybody know... Um, He's going to Jerusalem. Anybody know why he's making that trip to Jerusalem? He's going he's gonna to give himself up to willingly die on the cross as the sacrifice for the sins of every human being. It's kind of a big deal, right? He's on an important mission, the most important mission, right, in the history of the world. But, like... Um, our friend Jeremy reminded us in his message a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is never too busy. Jesus is interruptible. He's never too busy. See, as Jesus is moving toward his, his ultimate purpose in Jerusalem, and we'll actually see when we get to this, when we go back to our Luke series in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And when it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem, the word used... The word there means intense focus, intense focus. So in the middle of his intense focus to go to Jerusalem, what causes Jesus to slow down? What's the one thing that causes Jesus to pause in the middle of his intense focus journey to Jerusalem? Human suffering. Human suffering. He slows down. Like the writer of Hebrews says, he empathizes with our suffering, our weakness. Even though he's about to engage in the biggest battle in the history of the human race to ransom us from sin and evil and death. And yet, Jesus, even on that mission, is interruptible. He slows down. He's not too busy. He's moved by human suffering. See, I think that some of us if we get honest, we have to admit that we kind of think, um, maybe we actually believe this lie. That, 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 that Jesus is very similar to those ancient gods, the old time gods. That, that Jesus, we think, maybe, well, Jesus is indifferent or he's too busy or that our suffering doesn't actually matter. Or, or we think that God is the one who inflicted the suffering we're experiencing or that God caused that loss, God caused that death. Or maybe that we deserved it. And can I just tell you, those things are lies. None of those things are true. Some of you, I know this, some of you think that God is really just kind of too busy for you. So I just want to call that one out as a lie. Like, well, in the scope, scope of things, my stuff's really not that big a deal. God, God's kind of too occupied or busy. for That is a lie. And the enemy would love for you to believe that lie. But I just want you to hear me. Hear the truth. Your pain matters to Jesus. He is not too busy for you. His heart is for you. So you can come to him, again, like we read earlier. You come to him as you are. You come to him boldly. 
You can come with confidence, not timid. Put those lies aside. Come to Jesus knowing that when you come, he will give you the mercy and grace that you need in that moment because he gets us. And he is here right now. Jesus is present with us right now. And he wants to be with you in your pain and in your sorrow. He wants to be with you in your grief and in your suffering. That's why we do this Novembering service. Because friends, whether it's recently that you've lost someone or maybe lost someone long ago, the holiday season and other significant kind of calendar dates, they're just often when that pain resurfaces, or maybe for some it's just for the first time. And in just a bit, when we move towards communion and our candle lighting ceremony, I just I want you to stop before we go there, to stop and just remember what it is that you might need to remember this morning. And here's, here's a question. What loss, what loss have you grieved or do you still need to grieve or maybe what loss are you still grieving see many of us have losses that are years even decades old and maybe you have faced and grieved and mourned some of those losses but maybe you've never truly mourned that loss even years later or maybe even though you've mourned that loss, you still have to acknowledge there is still a, a, an ache where you still feel that loss deeply. You come to Jesus as you are. Bring that with you. Or, or maybe your loss is more recent. Um, maybe this is the first or one of the first Thanksgivings or Christmases or holiday seasons without that someone, that loved one, and you can hardly imagine what this season's going to be like. Friends, this morning is a moment, an invitation to bring your grief before Jesus, to be willing to just take that step and to ask Jesus to meet you in your loss. I also think of, for some of us, maybe your loss um, has even gone unnoticed. Maybe Maybe the people around you um, don't even know or they don't know what to do, like if you've had a pregnancy loss. One of your kids has had a pregnancy loss, and there's this silent grief that's so common to carry, where even some of your closest people, the ones right around you, might not know you're carrying that. And this is a moment for you to, this is an invitation to be willing to take a step to acknowledge that thing, that loss, whatever it is, and ask Jesus to meet you in your loss, to get on the outside what's inside, to mourn and trust Jesus, even in your tears, to bring you some measure of comfort, even whether you weep or not, knowing that Jesus weeps with you and for you. So in a moment, we're We'll connect our time of communion with lighting the candle to mourn and remember those we have lost. Um, and in just a few minutes, we'll come to the communion table, and we'll do that. We'll do that in remembrance of 
Jesus. We will partake in the real presence of Jesus, that Jesus is right here with us now. But, but before we come to the communion table and, and the candles, um, I do believe, yesterday as I was preparing, I, I do believe that, that, that God wants to speak to some of us, to minister to some of our hearts first before we even move. So just want to stop, slow down right now and invite you to open your heart. Just open your heart right now. For those of you who have lost a loved one, those of you who might find yourself in one phase of grief or another, I want to invite you just to pause. Remember that the spirit of Jesus, the presence of Jesus is here right now. He is moved by human suffering. I want you to think of Think of the name or names of those whose absence is felt by you. Just again, I'll say that again. Think of the name or names of those whose absence is felt by you. And now with the, that name or those names in your mind, I invite you to picture Jesus standing next to them with his arm around them. Just use your God-given imagination as we ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you a glimpse as you just try to picture Jesus next to your loved one. And maybe you think you can't picture it, so what do you, what do you think it would look like with Jesus next to your loved one? Just picture that. And if you could look into the face of Jesus right now, would you just imagine what that would look like to look into his face? What, what would you see? What do you think you would see in his eyes? What do you imagine that his eyes would express as you fix your eyes upon him? What do you, what do you imagine that might look like? And what do you imagine? What do you imagine his heart is towards you? Just let that in. So worship team comes. And as our communion servers take their places, I want to read something that I sensed God speaking to a number of us, especially those of us who are carrying grief um, today, even as we experience the presence, the real presence of Jesus that's here with us right now. Let me read this. The tears you've cried in private and the prayers and grief you poured out, even when everything inside you felt like it was dying, have become priceless gifts to Jesus. Even when you pray confused or angry prayers, he receives those gifts that honor him. Those are gifts that honor him. They are prayers that demonstrate your deepest trust in his ability to handle every part of your heart with love and care. He cherishes you. He loves you. Jesus mourns with you. And though the enemy has tried to use heartache to break you, 
Jesus wants to restore and redeem every single thing the enemy and this fallen world has stolen from you. As you trust Jesus in your grief, he longs not only to heal your wounded heart, but as he restores you, he wants to give you a portion of his own heart. And so as you begin or you continue to invite Jesus into your greatest pain, you'll take a step that can lead you to experience a comfort unlike anything you've ever known. Friends, it's time, if you've not yet begun, it's time for your freedom to begin. See, you are loved and not alone. He's with you in your pain and your loss. And again, with the question on the screen, as we come to the table and to the candles, what loss have you grieved or do you still need to grieve or are you still grieving? Will you bring that with you to the table this morning and remember that Jesus is with you? The band's gonna lead us in a song. And then when you are ready, you can stand from where you are and move toward the communion tables and the candle lighting. We'll be here waiting for you and with you. And again, we pray now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.